You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 140 of Take a Bow. I'm your host, Eli Tokash, and this week we have a very exciting episode. We are officially in the month of February. It seems winter has finally got the memo that uh, it's that time of year. Uh, we are starting to see a little snow and cold weather here in New York. I was wearing sweatshirts last week, pretty much, no coats, and now I'm like, it's too cold for this. But nonetheless, it's going to be great. And uh, with that being said, as February, as I mentioned, uh, it is Black History Month. So I look forward to honoring Black artists' stories and their journeys on how they made it in the industry. Uh, we have a very, very cool lineup that I'm very excited to share with you all. And uh, I'm so excited. I'm really looking forward to it. So stay tuned for all of that and looking forward to this Black History Month. With that being said, I do want to announce this week's guest. As always, we have a very exciting guest. To me personally, he is literally the reason that I'm an actor and I'm still here. If it wasn't for him, I don't know if I would have, you know, left West Virginia. I don't know if I would have left hockey. I don't know if I would. I don't know. I don't, there are a lot of ands, if, or buts. But this guy uh, sat me down one day and kind of changed everything for me. So um, this is a very meaningful guest for me. I was in A Christmas Story with him, Dan Loria. He was also in Lombardi on Broadway. He was the dad, Jack Arnold, in The Wonder Years. But uh, that's actually on Hulu if you have never heard of it or never watched it and you're interested. It's a wonderful show. If you like Boy Meets World, that's kind of like more our age. If you like Boy Meets World, you will like The Wonder Years, I promise. It's Ben Savage's brother, Fred Savage. And actually, fun fact, Dan was on Boy Meets World, so he worked with both Ben and Fred. He was on it for like an episode. But yeah, he's had this wonderful TV and film career, and that's kind of what this episode really talks about. So it's got a bit of a new perspective, and I don't mean this in any bad way, but there is a bit of an age gap between this guest and our usual guest. So just to hear his perspective on the industry and just his knowledge and how much the industry has changed, you know, living in it literally for the past 50 years-ish, it was a wonderful conversation. It made for such a cool conversation, really focusing on the industry, talking about Broadway and talking about the difference between film and TV and Broadway and film and TV alone and what that industry is like. So 
it's got some crazy stories and you all, I think, will really enjoy this episode. It's a bit, he did not hold back. Um, I'll just say that. So fair warning, but uh, I think you all will enjoy those stories nonetheless and and, and kind of be interested and kind of be like surprised. So uh, I'm very excited for you all to, to hear this one. So before we turn it over to that, though, let's talk about some Broadway news, shall we? I got there eventually. Um, there's uh, some great Broadway news, actually, this week. A lot of it comes from like a casting perspective like it was last week. Very exciting stuff is happening with uh, Ragtime. There's going to be a Ragtime reunion concert where Take About family members Audrey McDonald and Kelly O'Hara, so cool to say, are going to be returning to Ragtime and, and doing this little concert benefit alongside with Brian Stokes Mitchell and, and many more of the cast. But, uh, you know, I had to shout out some family members from Take About um, that have been on the podcast and all the things. So congratulations to them. And I know ragtime means so much to them individually. So I'm sure they're so excited to be returning to the show and, you know, being able to revisit those characters and all the things. So very exciting stuff. Hopefully everyone can go check that out. Ragtime reunion concert. It's going to be amazing. Reprising roles and all the things. So very cool stuff. Another announcement came from Parade. They had amazing cast announcements where we had some Take About Family members in there too. So uh, I want to shout out Jay Armstrong Johnson. I want to shout out uh, Douglas Lyons. And I also want to shout out Paul Alexander Nolan, who has not been on the podcast yet, but he will very soon become a Take About Family member. Um, And I'm very excited for it because, I mean, they're all fantastic. And I've talked about how much I love Parade already. And I've had Michaela Diamond, who was already announced. She's also a Take About Family member. But uh, some great casting announcements here. A lot of the, the cast stayed from City Center. No real surprises, I guess I could say. We obviously knew Gaten wouldn't be returning with the show because he's in Sweeney Todd and all the things like that. So um, very exciting, great casting, as always. It's a great, diverse cast, which is wonderful because when this show was like originally made and all the things, you know, they didn't have that sort of diversity. And and in the productions that I've seen, you know, that diversity hasn't always been there. So very, very glad to see the diversity on Broadway and on stage. It's going to be great. Moving on, Leslie Odom Jr. coming back to Broadway, which is very exciting. I did not see this happening. Leslie Odom Jr. is coming back to Broadway in a show called Pearly Victorious, a non-Confederate romp through the cotton patch, which is very exciting. It's actually being directed by uh, Take About family member Kenny Leone. So very exciting stuff. I'm excited to see this. I don't know anything about the show. I think it'll be great. Very exciting stuff. Uh, Leslie Odom Jr. is one of the greatest performers. So I'm very excited to see it. Also, Gray Henson is returning to Broadway in the new musical Shucked. You know, it's the one previously announced with Alex Newell and a bunch of fantastic artists and performers. And uh, he's going to be added to that lineup, which is super exciting. And uh, one, one more thing here. Take Me Out closes this Sunday. They did make his way back to Broadway after a bunch of success around the Tony Awards and all the things, but they already announced they were closing at that time. Uh, But they brought it back and they were able to do another run, uh, which is fantastic and the incredible run for everyone involved. I kind of already like wish them congratulations the first time, but I want to do it again. Uh, Happy trails to the company of Take Me Out and congrats to everyone involved. Seriously, I mean, it's it's very rare for a show to, to come back and especially a show like that with those high profile guests, you know, Jesse Williams and Jesse Tyler Ferguson and all the things, you know, they usually do limited runs and all the things. So the fact that they were able to do 
two limited runs is pretty cool and pretty cool to do it back to back. So congrats to everyone involved. And I'm upset that I never saw the show, so I can't really touch more on that topic. So um, yeah. And then just really quickly before we we end up, uh, I, I want to sh- give you all uh, just two friendly reminders that I probably keep doing um, until the time has come. I mentioned last week that Kimberly Akimbo was going to be debuting a, uh, a cast album release party, and they will be like debuting the cast album before it even comes out on February 10th at Woman Rink in Central Park. So if you're interested, come on by February 10th. Very exciting. The cast will be there. I'll probably be there. It's going to be a lot of fun and I'm, I'm excited for it. So Kimberly Akimbo at Woman Rink, we can go ice skate at Skater Planet and uh, talk Broadway and all the things. So come on by. The cast album officially releases to like the public on February 14th. And while you're there, I believe you also get like a free CD of the show. Uh, of the cast album and they're doing like little giveaways and stuff like that too for coming along so if you're interested and you're around come on by and one last reminder it is still two for one broadway week so get your tickets if you can take advantage of this incredible offer as i mentioned i am seeing shows i was oh oh my god I saw the collaboration last week, people. How did I not give you a little review? Oh, my word. Collaboration was amazing. This show, Jeremy Pope stole the show. It's ridiculous what he was doing in that show. I mean, it, It's literally not fair. I'm dying to have Jeremy Pope on this show. I think his performance in this show is worth a Tony and all the things. You know, I don't see plays often, so maybe I don't know the competition or anything like that. But I have seen more plays this season, and uh, Jeremy Pope's performance was far and away the best performance I've ever seen. Maybe even like some of these musical categories he could win. I loved the show, and I loved his wonderful performance. Uh, It was just ridiculous. So um, with that being said, I'm sorry, I am rambling here, but uh, it'll all make sense when I have Jeremy Pope on the show. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Um, But hopefully. Um, It is two for one. So I I saw collaboration. It was wonderful. The relationship between those two are fascinating and just the mind of an artist and how it works and and what goes on behind the scenes and, and what that collaboration was back then and what that meant to them and how it all came about. Wild wild stuff. Both of them, everyone was fantastic. Christopher Rodriguez was in the show. Everyone was fantastic. But uh, the performances were ridiculous. The show was amazing. And apparently they're making a movie out of it. And I believe those two are going to be in it. So um, I'm very excited for it. Everyone involved in that show should be incredibly proud and incredibly, I don't know, like it just, it blew me away. And they should just be proud of the work that they're putting out there and, and telling that story. It's just wonderful, literally. And the way that it's done, it's so crazy. There's like a DJ on stage for when you walk in and at intermission to, you know, liven it up and kind of get you going and, and all the things to keep you invested in all the things. It's a very unique way. I've never seen a play done this way. And they've got panels on the side, not like a West Side Story exactly, you know, where they had like the camera on stage and they were able to show you what was happening on the background. Like there were actually a couple bits that in the collaboration that had that, but it wasn't overdone and it wasn't in a distracting manner that I kind of found West Side Story to be in. But uh, very cool, nonetheless, very cool way that they did it. They had these panels on the sides and they were showing up these projections and all the things. And uh, they also 
like pre-filmed projections. So that was happening in the intermission and all the things. And you could kind of see their relationship develop further in those projections. It was just really, really cool. So congratulations to everyone involved. The direction of that show was absolutely beautiful. So everyone go check out the collaboration if you can. Very exciting. All right. That's all I have for you folks this week. I will not bore you with more of my talking and all the things. So uh, without further ado, I think we should just turn it over to Dan Loria. So Dan Loria, curtain up. This week, we have an all-time guest on the podcast today, honestly. Uh, it's one of those guests that have just been at the top of my list since this whole thing began, and uh, I'm honored to be able to have the chance to talk to him today. He is known as America's dad for his role of Jack Arnold in The Wonder Years. He's played iconic roles like Vince Lombardi on Broadway. He was also Gene Shepard in A Christmas Story on Broadway, where I had the pleasure of listening and watching to him eight times a week, watch, work his magic and all the things. Um, he's been in a million TV shows, and he actually has a new movie coming out uh, this year. It's the Reagan biopic, very exciting, where he plays Tip O'Neill. And you can currently see him. I know he's done everything. You can also currently see him down at the Chain Theater in the Lyle Kessler's Deadly Sins and Other Tales, six one-act plays, the little winter one-act festival that's going on over at the Chain Theater right now. So you can currently see him there. So everyone, without further ado, it is my honor to welcome to Take a Bow, Dan Loria. Well, let's start. Let's go back. You know, let's go back to the beginning. And, and I'm curious because you had such an interesting, you know, like life. I mean, you need to like write an autobiography or something because, you know, you you were playing college football and then you went to war in Vietnam and then you became America's dad. You know, like how did you get into all of this? What made you want to be in the industry and tell stories and all the things? Well, I, I, when I was younger, I had an aunt, that my Aunt Adele, who lived with us for a while. And I'd come home from practice because, you know, I was a dummy in high school. I never studied. I just played ball. <laughs> so you go to bed right after I go to bed. And I, I didn't even question her. I would homework, forget it. And I'd go to bed. And two in the morning, she'd wake me up and go, James Cagney. And we'd put on the late, late show. Television wasn't what you guys had. We only had three networks. There was no, you know, you couldn't rent films or anything. Right. And we watched these old movies. So, you know, my friends, I would always be doing imitations in the locker room, you know, and Bogart and Cagney. And so I always liked it. And then uh, literally I was in college. And my junior year I was uh, – it actually was sophomore year during spring practice and a famous acting teacher, Miss Constance Welsh, she started the Yale drama. Hmm. She heard me telling a joke before practice. Yeah. And she tapped me on the shoulder pads and said, would you like to be in a play? And I said, <laughs> you know, I always wanted to try that. I love old movies. And she went, I knew. And I said, how would you know? She says, because I'm the greatest teacher in the world. Come with me. Oh, oh my God. After practice, I was, she needed a big, ugly guy to play Caliban. Stop it. So, uh, but she brought me to a, a student production in the small theater. They were doing A Thousand Clowns. And oh. it was Julian Schlussberg. He's one of the definitive writers of children's theater from hmm. Connecticut. We're still friends. And she made him audition me for the lead 
And then he, he was very honest. He says, he's not the lead, but you'd be great as the older brother. Mm-hmm. And then I went from that play to do Calaman. And I said, wow, this is, this is, you know, I just loved it. Yeah. And then when I was overseas, she had a lot of famous, um, famous actors who were also Marines like James Whitmore. Wow. And when they were in World War II, she would send them plays. So when I was in the Marine Corps, she would send me a play every month, and I read it. And then I got out, and I wrote something. I won a grant to the University of Connecticut for playwriting. So my MFA is in playwriting. Really? Yeah. I can't. I, 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 I got kicked out of every acting class. I can't. Stop it. No. I, I went to the I, – I, 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 I'm the only one who has nice stories about Lee Stroudsworth, but I, I went to the – at least it's school East, you know, Actors Studio East. And they had everybody hold a cup. And then they said, it's getting hot. I just sat there. And the guy, Mitch Nestor, he yelled at me, he goes, what are you doing? He said, I put it down. Why would I hold a hot cup? <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. the logic is in all this, you know. And then, of course, I had Charles learning from day one in this because he was a vet. We had a group called Vet Go. We were all Vietnam vets doing play. Wow. He's the one who brought us to Joe Papp, and we got in over there. But uh, you know, and Charlie, um, you really want to start? I'll give you a story about. Yeah, you. give me. All right, every every play Charlie ever saw me do. He saw everything. The yeah. worst, the best, it doesn't matter. He would always put his arm around me and say, another 20 years, you'll be an actor. Yeah. Really? And I'd say, yeah, all right, Charlie, I keep working, keep working. So <laughs> as time went by and, you know, we're in L.A. now and we would go to dinner all the time. Jack Klugman from Oscar on the Odd Couple, Charlie Derning, Dom DeLuise, and Peter Falk, Colombo. Yeah. And... We would always talk about acting, and it's great stories. So Jack and I were doing a, a great play. We got nominated for everything in L.A. called The Value of Names, about the House on American Activities Committee. Sure. So now Jack, if you said to Jack, we were good tonight, he'd go, we're always good. That's not what it's about. <laughs> so oh on a Sunday afternoon, Peter <laughs> Falk, Charles Derning, and Don Delaware sitting in the audience. And Jack comes running in the room. He goes, the boys are out there tonight. Don't do it for them. Do it for them. And I'm going, Jack, you said we were always good. What are you worried about? <laughs> and he goes, you're right. I said, what are you going to do? Shave my head and send me back to Nam? Yes, will you? you know? And he was like, yeah, you're right. Let's just do it for us. So we went out. <laughs> and you know, you're in the theater. We're always, like Jack says, we're always good. I don't think we ever gave a bad performance of A Christmas Story. But there no. are special nights. Mm-hmm. And... For some reason, that day, we had a special day. And as we're bowing, Jack goes, we got to call the boys, find out what the hell we did right tonight. You know? <laughs> so that was a Sunday. We didn't have a show Monday or Tuesday. So Tuesday night, wow. we had dinner. And it was stories about what causes that and everything. And Charlie, very emotionally, he put his arm around me and he said, all right, another 10 years you'll be an actor. Wow. It was like the biggest compliment in the world. But Jack Klugman, the great Jack Klugman, leans in to the great Charles Durning and says, Charlie, are you an actor yet? 
Paul <laughs> Sterling looks at him and he goes like this. He says, Jack, I'm getting damn close. <laughs> and Peter Falk reached over and said, I think you're there, Charlie. Oh, you see, that's how they were. So when you say, oh, you're still doing it, I'm, you know, if you ask me, what do I want to do next? I'd like to learn a little bit more about acting. Yeah. You know, you just, you just like Charlie, you get close. And there's those nights when you actually get there, but it's usually not followed by another one of those because you try too hard, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, but it's, it's always been fun for me. Yeah, for sure. No, there's something special about, you know, kind of putting yourselves in. You can allow yourself to be someone else and you can allow yourself to be a goofball. And and we talked earlier, you know, like you can just have fun and allow yourself to be a kid again. You know, like you forget about taxes and all the things that you have to do, you know, like you you just play, you know, it's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, And it's fun watching, you know, people uh, like you. A lot of times I'm. I run into somebody new 20 years ago, a lot younger than me, and they go, I'm making a movie. I'm in. 10-minute movie. I'll come do craft service. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's whatever a, you want. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, that, that's the most fun I have now, you know, because the business changed, you know, with all these self-tapes and all that. Most of the work I've been doing is for friends. Even this one-act play I'm doing now with Lyle Kessler. I've known Lyle since 1977. Yeah. It's great. He wrote Offerings. Oh, really? Yeah. And he called and said, Dan, I'm doing a little one-act festival. You, you, Are you free? I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. Why would Amazing. I not act? Yeah. So let's talk about this. So this is over at the Chain Theater, and me and Alexa are going to go see you. You start tonight. You got This is your first performance no, tonight, no, right? Tomorrow, tomorrow night. We are oh, tomorrow. One-act festival. So it's tomorrow night and Sunday, and then it's next Saturday and Sunday, right, during the middle of the, this Sunday, during the middle of the football games at Kami Pinko Bedwetter. I could kill them. There you go. Yeah. Priorities. <laughs> But it's a sure. six good little one acts, and uh, I'm in a very good one. And Lyle's been a great writer for years. Yeah. He wrote Orphans, which is the number one produced American play around the world. Yeah. Okay, that's Incredible. saying a lot when you think of Death of a Salesman and all those other great plays. So, right. And the people who run this theater, Christina and, and Kurt Perry, they're, you know, we need more people like this because they do new plays. And right. we started the conversation talking about how COVID, 40% of the subscribers did not come back to regional theaters. Mm. Most of these groups in the city that are surviving, they're surviving under grants. Right. And, we're, and they're doing something that's absolutely terrible. They're, um, there's, they're, it's a greater prejudice than prejudice towards black Americans, Hispanic Americans, gay Americans, Italian Americans, uh, you know, Asian Americans, Native Americans. And I say greater because it encompasses all of them. Mm. And that's the prejudice towards older people. I have a new play that's going to be produced this summer that I wrote. And it's going to be produced in the Great Barrington and, and up at Shadowland Stages. And I can't tell you how many theaters, theaters where I know the artistic director, theaters I've worked in all my life, will not read a play by someone 75 years old. 
What? And, and it's not, and, and like my friend uh, uh, David Saint at George Street Playhouse, I've done five plays here. They gave me an award for raising money for him. I said, Davey, you got to read play it, two-hander, and, you know, I can get stars to do it. And he said, and, and David, very proudly gay, said, yeah. if you were gay, I cannot do this play. I oh, cannot, my God. I cannot do a play by somebody 75. He wouldn't even read it. Well, Lyle can't get his plays done. You know, he's older. So why do you think that is? I don't know, Eli. You'll have to tell me. I I know one thing. You can't defeat prejudice by being more prejudiced. Right. You know, and it does not change the words on the page. Mm Mm-mm. You know, so I'm not again. I've, you know, me. I had for ten years. I ran a reading service in in L.A. where we read a new play every Monday night for ten years. We got right. over fifty writers. Literally, I never asked anybody what their age was. Right. I never asked if they were gay or straight. I would take the play, and if I could get a star to say, "Yeah, I'll read it," we read it. Right. I I mean, if everybody passed on it, I'd say, well, let me get somebody else, you know, because I was trying to get attention to their play. But this stuff is crazy. So talk to me about your play in this, you know, six plays of one act plays that the festival that he's Lyle's working on here. Talk to me about what your show is and what your character is and Uh, what what we can expect. I'm I'm very I, I got a great I got a good one. I got it. Yeah. Yeah, I play uh, an Israeli defense minister who interrogation is the word on the script, but he's not really interrogating a young girl, Bahar Bahanti, who's absolutely beautiful. And uh, she was going to commit a suicide bomb bombing and she didn't. Wow. And it's just the two of us. It's about 20 minutes long. It's very insightful. It's how she lost the person she loved because of a Israeli raid. And I tell her I lost my son because of a, a bomb went off years ago. And they end up, they're so compatible. Sure. They have this ethos that surrounds both of them and they're brought into this bubble. It's a very good play. Lyle's a good writer. Wow. I told Lyle, we were just actually talking uh, about, you know, he shouldn't stop here. There's more here. Yeah. He could write a second act and a third act easily. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy-on, easy-off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Wow. Oh, my God. That's amazing. 
I'm excited. I, I think it's going to be awesome. Now, with, with this, this is like considered like an off off Broadway production, and and I've heard conversations. I mean, just having the conversation with you, you know, the importance of new plays and new work and everything like that. I'm curious to know like your thoughts in off Broadway and off off Broadway because I've heard you talk about it before, and you know, with some people listening and, and some people in the industry, you know, they have this kind of stereotype of like, oh, you know, it's Broadway or nothing and that's not like always the case in my opinion yeah it's it's totally i mean you know uh broadway is now a lot of bells and whistles right you know it and 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 rightfully so i mean people are paying two hundred dollars (laughs) two fifty you know to see what you can see on your television screen totally so uh I, i mean i think a perfect example of What's going on was um, Hades Town. Yeah, now, I saw that off Broadway. Off off is a totally different thing. That's experimental. That is never going to change. Who's ever got twenty cents and believes in themselves is going to find a basement and do a play. That doesn't right. really off change a lot, like we talked about before, because New Yorkers haven't coming back. But I saw Hades Town off Broadway. Wow, it was. Wonderful! It was at the old, uh, I forget the name of the theater now, but it was, when I was younger, it was the Truck and Warehouse play right across from La Mama. I worked both those. And <laughs> Chris Sullivan, who was in uh, Lombardi with me in This Is Us, the big guy. Yeah, totally. He was the, the guy, the devil's assistant, you know. And while he was singing these great jazz songs, he's moving all of set pieces. Yeah. And it was great. It was wonderful. Now yeah. it moves to Broadway, and I hear Andre DeShields, who's 84, one of the greatest talents ever in American theater, is now doing Christmas Park. Yeah. <laughs> How the hell is he going to do You know, I know Andre. And I go see it, and believe me, it is wonderful. The Broadway production is wonderful. But now it has oh, yeah. a chorus of eight people. Mm. They were doing all the moving, it was bigger. Was right. it better? No. Was it worse? No. But it was the difference between Broadway and off-Broadway. It's wow. got to be here. you got to have more. I take another example, I think, uh, and of course the music was written by our composers, Ben and Austin. Uh, when Dear Evan Hansen, when <laughs> I read the book of that play, I said, this is a good off-Broadway play. Then oh, all Wow. Then all of a sudden it becomes this big thing on Broadway. And I go, that story is not big enough. Well, mm. you go see it. They had things hanging from the ceiling. They had computers. They had, they had to blow it up. Yeah. And I, and I have a feeling that it might have been better off-Broadway. Interesting. And, and, and what, would, what would the advantage be? Well, okay, the investors aren't going to make as much money. But the advantage is maybe smaller theaters around the country would have done it more. Right. And you and it could probably run a little longer. You know, you don't have to fill all of those seats in a Broadway theater. Oh, yeah. I did other people's money. It's where I met Priscilla Lopez. They oh, were always saying it was such a hit. Let's move to Broadway. And I produced it. No, if we move to Broadway, we'll be closed in six months. It ran three years at the Mineta Lane. There you go. 
And I'm curious because we're on the topic of, you know, like Broadway compared to off-Broadway. And I, I want to do one more comparison with you and, and know your thoughts on it. Just like, you, obviously, you have a large resume and a large history with the on-screen acting and, you yeah. know, the TV and all of that. But I know you have... A, I'm old. I got it. I got it. No, no, no. Oh, my God. No. But like, you look at your... your you search up Dan Loria and you've done like every TV show there is, you know? It's just... It's insane. And then, of course, you know, you have a love for the stage. And I know you have a love for the stage yeah. and, and you always come back to it. So, like, what is it about the stage that, you know, brings you back? Or what do you find the difference between the two is and, and all of that? Well, let me give you the first misconception. Yeah. Here, a lot of actors say, I like the camera. You know, I bring it in. It's not, it doesn't go. That That's terrible. If you, <laughs> I would never tell a young actor like that. We, I was very fortunate to work in these little hole-in-the-wall theaters where the front row is literally three feet away from me. Right. So when I got in front of a camera, Charles, when Charles Durning said, Did, you know, I guess we got to be smaller, aren't you? He goes, no, you're doing a play, and you're playing for the hardest audience in the world, that crew. They've oh, wow. seen everything. They know what's good. They know what works. <laughs> when you get on a show, you'll be able to see who in the crew knows what they're doing. And if you're working with a theater person, like I did eight Cagney and Lacey's with Sharon Gless and, and Tyne Daly, they had people on their crew that they, when the scene was over, they would, I could see them looking at them. And if they got a nod, they knew they didn't need another take. But that was wow. in the day when we did three-minute scenes without a cut. Now you guys do time. <laughs> I don't even know. It's not acting. It's not directing. It's not. I don't know what it is. <laughs> so on the Wonder Years, we had uh, our cinematographer, and he did operate the camera a lot, Steve Confer. If we did a take and he sat there, and they called cut, and he sat there on the camera, you knew you weren't giving your best. Oh, really? And when they said cut, if he stepped off the camera, whether we had to do it or not, again or not, he knew we were we were good. That was wow. Yeah, and we had Skip Cook, our head grip. He'd been on many great movies, worked with great stars. If he gave you that nod, you know. So this stuff about, and I'll tell you, when you're doing it for the crew, it goes right to the camera through the audience. Right. And I, I'm, I'm working with too many young actors. You run, first of all, you can hardly get them to run the lines because they're always on the phone. <laughs> they seem to be okay. And then as soon as they say action, they start whispering. I don't know, I'm an internal actor. And I, will, I tell them, I'm, well, I'm a human being, you know, and I'm old. So talk louder. Well, yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> what is waiting around? You know, I, I, I don't get it. I'm, I'm a little lost about it, you know. <laughs> I mean, it was part of watching the old movies. They spoke faster. They talked faster. They didn't, you know, transitions weren't, oh, you know, you could drive a truck through it. And when you right. get to the stage, you know, you can't get away with that bad acting. Right. Durning's best note he ever gave me was somebody, kid would say, you got any advice about acting? He would say, yeah, don't act. Don't get exactly. caught. You know, you know, those nights yep. when you did your best work were you, 
you there was no editing. You weren't thinking in a line ahead. You weren't thinking, what did I just do? It was just going. It was just right there. And when you work right. with good people, that's what happens. But if you're thinking about, I got to be this, I got to whisper, and we're losing that. Yeah. It's so interesting to hear you talk about, you know, when you're doing on screen work and stuff, you know, performing for the crew. Uh, I, I never thought about it that way. You know, I always felt like uncomfortable with like, not like uncomfortable, but it was like so bizarre that there was just this giant camera like watching your every little move. But if you just block that out and just say, hey, it's just a play and you do it for the crew. It's quite interesting. Oh, yeah. It makes it a lot easier for you. It, it, yeah. It, 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 you know, we're performers. So, you know, I need that reaction. Now, they can't exactly like they do in the theater, but they have ways of showing you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a stillness when you do a very dramatic scene. Yeah. One of a crew. You know, they're always quiet. They're professionals and all. But there's that stillness that, you know, you feel in the theater. Well, you feel it on sta- on the front of a camera, too. And when you do something really funny in front of a camera, when they go cut, half the crew is <laughs> not to blow the tape. You know? Yeah. They let you know. You know? So. For sure. Uh, it's awesome. That's, that's, I like that. I, I'm going to start using that for sure because, you know, this whole self-tape and everything, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's clearly not my forte. It hasn't worked out too much. Well, I'm, I'm uh, you know, for young people who are – especially with COVID and everything. I understand why self-tapes are there, but in, for my case and my friends, why people with 40 years, 40, 50 years of experience have to self-tape while they have offers out to bigger names who are not self-taping mm. is just yeah. defecating on my career and on everybody else's work. They're just telling us nothing we did matter and the compromise is so easy i mean i don't the last time they put a pin in me they i had a self-tape and all they said you're the first choice and i was four days away from i signed a contract they hadn't and then they said they gave it to f murray abraham and i said yeah f murray abraham's academy award winner he's a great actor and he's a very nice man very proper man i have I don't blame the producers for doing but why did they make over 30 of us self-tape? Right. When they could have just said to the agent, we have an offer out to this great actor, F. Murray Abraham. What, a, what clients do you have if he doesn't do it would fit the role? So they say, Dan Laurie, go, good, send his reel. Make him do a slate so we there can There you see go. Him. You send my reel. They know us yep. anyway. And then if F. Murray Abraham backs out at the last minute, the director who's being cut out in casting now goes to the casting director who's completely being cut out and sits with him. And the casting director says, I have these 20 actors, their agents have sent their reel. Which five or six do you you want to look at? So the director will pick. Maybe just those six come in and self-tape with a guarantee that whoever gets the role did self-tape. Right. You know, and then even then, at the last minute, Robert De Niro walks in and says, I want to do it. Well, the producer calls the set, as a human being, calls him and says, look, it's just a business decision. We loved your tapes. We're going to send you 150 bucks for your time. Right. We'll keep you in mind for guest spots, but thank you. That would be the... If you had any respect for the art, that would be the way it's done. There you go. 
but there isn't any. And if I'm going to cut from your head to my head, they don't really need us because chemistry, right. chemistry is what happens between two people. Right. And as soon as I cut from your face to my face, we've cut the chemistry. Absolutely. And I think that that's something, too, that, like, I feel like that's a strength of mine, you know, just like walking into a room and, and, and talking to people and developing some sort of chemistry. Right. Well, when I'm doing these self tapes, there's nothing there. I mean, there's you can't really develop it with like anybody like it. No, and you're going to look like everybody else because it's a head in front of a gray piece of paper. right. So you didn't have any time to win over the room. Yeah, it's it. I, this whole new way of, of auditioning is just like, you know, it's tough. And I know it's more convenient for a lot of people. And, and it is even for me, like, you know, I don't have to travel and do, do an audition room. I can just right. do it at the comfort of my home. But in a way, it's like that space was that safe space that like I knew that I could explore and I knew I could do it. Well, when I'm here, it's like, you know, this is my home. Like, it's not like I want to act in my home, you know, no, type of thing. And, and, and your generation is losing out on something else that's really important. They're not aware of it because they haven't gone through it. I cannot tell you how many times I went in to a room, gave a really good audition. Yeah. And didn't get the part. And yeah. three months later, that same casting director, the producer of the TV show, called you in. Sometimes you didn't even have to audition. They said, look, you got a part. And you go, what do you mean? And they said, oh, <laughs> we loved your last audition. You were just too ugly. But this job, this part, we knew this was coming up. Well, right. nobody's going to remember a talking head in front of a screen. Exactly. So there might be a part that, okay, you're not right for it, but you didn't have a chance to leave something with them that they're going to remember or think about down the line. Exactly. That's what your generation's really losing. Yep. I, I couldn't agree more. And it, it, it frustrates me because, you know, like as someone who had a career as a kid and, you know, that's a lot of times how I did get the roles, you know, like I, I would be like, oh, you know, like I didn't audition for this or, oh, I don't even like recall reading the script for this. You know, it was just like, you know, something came in and, and now it's just like, it's like a whole new wave. And I've changed so much that people don't like remember who I am, you know, with my looks and new voice and all the things. So it's just like, I, I can't figure out a way to reestablish myself and really change these auditions and all the things. It's so bizarre, but, uh, yeah. And then, you know, in the old days I would have said to you, well, that's easy to reestablish stuff, do a play, but now casting directors don't go to plays. Right. Send me his reel or send me his, send me a video or have him do a self tape of one of the scenes. They don't go. Yeah. It's just crazy how much, especially since the pandemic, this industry has changed, you know, every aspect of it from audiences to how the whole process works now is just completely different. Well, uh, somebody like Charlie Durning, he always emphasized this business, regardless of what you read, has never been about money. It's always been about power. Mm. It's always the artist fighting the money establishment. Sure. You know, people with them, they spend a lot of money. They feel they have a right to demand what they want. You hire an artist and he says, no, you hired me because of my vision. And this is my, so it's always that, well, what's happened is the people with the money have the definitive device, the editing machine. Yeah. No longer a director with an editor winding a wheel. That was a hard process to put a film together. 
Now it is right. so easy. And the rule of thumb on almost 90% of the TV shows and every movie I've seen out is have each line on a single. Yeah. Well, you're killing all the chemistry. I mean, the equipment is lighter, it's more efficient, and we're taking twice as long. We're doing 9,000 takes. You know, I don't it, think I ever took a second take with Tyne Daly on, on Cagney and Lacey, especially when really? Cooper, the old actor, was directing. He go, oh, my wow. two girls are here. Let's shoot it in one. How do you guys feel? Pretty good. Let's go home. <laughs> and, Jackie, and Jackie would get a pat on the back for finishing early and saving money. Now he'd get fired. Right. <laughs> Literally. Oh, my God. But I think it shows, you know, like these TV shows nowadays, you know, it, you can't compare them to the Wonder Years and these Boy Meets World and all those things. You know, the content isn't there, but the content isn't there because of the way that the process is now. And it's kind of everything's being altered for everything. You know, it's just it's it's too bad. It really is. But, uh, you know, ho- hopefully we go back to, to well, find a happy uh, medium. Uh, yeah, some kind of happy medium. But uh, I know Charles Nerning, for him, he would have told you this all started long before COVID. It started with the movie Heat. Really? With uh, Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. And Charlie was a tough guy. Uh-huh. And he called me and he said, you got to come over here. He got one of the things they send from SAG, you know. And um, he was crying. I said, what's wow. new? He goes, watch this. And I'm watching it. I, I said, I don't get it, Charlie. What's bothering you? He goes, there's not one frame where Robert De Niro says anything to Al Pacino. Hmm. When they walk in the diner, they're not talking. They sit down at the diner. Both of them talked about it on Inside the Actor's Studio. You can check it out, Eli. They did like 25 takes. Wow. So Al Pacino says, hello, how are you? And, and De Niro says, I'm fine, how are you? They cut from the third take to the 15th to the 12th to the ninth. And Charlie, he said, I thought I would die before. I said, you realize what they're doing? If they're going to do that to the two best, right? they don't need us anymore. You yeah. Know, you know, Charlie worked with Pacino a number of times on stage and on film, you know, Dog Day Afternoon, movies like that. And it just broke his heart. He said, you're going to see it. Television will be first. And then everything became the same way. A master that you used for the first line and the last line. Yeah. And the thing was close up, close up, close up. So I do this lecture at colleges. Be glad to come up and do it for you. But I start by showing two minutes of Argo. And I go cut, 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 until the audience understands what a cut is. Uh Uh-huh. And then I stop and I say, now yell cut. The next cut that comes. Wow. 27 seconds later, they yell cut. And I say, you've just seen the longest take in Argo <laughs> without a cut. 27 seconds. In wow. one picture. And the director did not get nominated. And wow. then I put on Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell going around a desk in His Girl Friday. Uh-huh. They yell cut. Four minutes and 50 seconds later, we <laughs> applaud. Wow. And then I talk about having breakfast with Cary Grant and 
what he <laughs> There you go. Oh, wow. That's wild. But it's so true. I mean, like, I literally, I was watching The Wonder Years. I mean, you made us watch it backstage at a Christmas story, but I was watching it, you know, when I found out that I'd be talking to you just to get, like, a refresh of it and everything. And it's so true. I was like, you know, the flow of these scenes, it's nothing like it is today, you know? Well, even that super, super tight shut to be used yeah. so much... Whereas if it's more than a 2T, you get to use your body. Body language meant something. Now it's all this, and I don't know what that is. Right. All right, Dan. So I got to talk to you about our time together in A Christmas Story. I mean, just unbelievable opportunity and such an honor to work with you. And I know we talked about it before we even started recording here, but uh, it was your first musical ever. So I'm curious, you know, I believe it's still the only musical that you've ever done. So talk to me about what that experience was like for you and kind of what you learned and some of the, I guess, what was that process like for you in general? When uh, my agent actually told my friend uh, Wendy Malik that I was going to do a Broadway musical before he told me. Yeah. And Wendy sent me an email saying, I'm sitting on my porch and a pig just flew by. (laughs) (laughs) And the first day of rehearsal, John Rando, who I love, you know, he said, all right, Dan, you got to come in on an eight count. And I said, count slower. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes oh, that's so good Lynn the little Asian girl I went to her and I said Lynn I, I don't know anything about music I don't know what an eight count is when you walk upstairs you gotta look in the wing and wink at me yeah and there you go she was one of the few who was in both years that we did it and every show she'd wink and then laugh <laughs> and she oh. never missed once, you know. So, was that the first musical you've ever done? Oh yeah, I can't. Well, I can't sing. I can't dance. I can't. You know, I sat there one day. It, it was just before the first preview, and I'm watching you guys. And I looked at John, and I said, "There's got to be 50 people in this room: actors, musicians, you know, yeah. dancers, John Bolton, Aaron Dilly, you guys." And he goes, and I said to him, I said, there's 50 people here, and I am the least talented. Stop it. <laughs> and John Randall went, oh, no, 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 Dan, you're, you're, you're wonderful. You're a great narrator. And about 10 minutes later, uh, Luke started dancing. <laughs> yes. John looked at me and said, you know, you may be less the least talented. <laughs> Stop it. No, well, I, I, I enjoyed it so much, you know, and I, I enjoyed you know, just watching you guys, I, you know, because I didn't have, I didn't grow up like that with the music. Right. I had my parents were the greatest people in the world, but you know, we were, we didn't know anything about theater or anything, and I just loved watching you guys. The energy was contagious, you know. Yeah. No, for sure. That being in that room, I, that, any musical, I feel like it's just such a different energy to any other type of media and art in the arts or whatever. It, it's so much fun. It's so you all feed off each other. And when you're with that, like, I don't know, I feel like musicals, you, you really have to know all three things. You need to know how to dance. You need to know how to sing. You need to know how to act. And in a way, it's like those are going to be the, the most talented people in the room because they oh, can yeah, do it all. It's a triple, uh, triple threat. You know, you guys were, uh, and I, you know, I'm not just saying it because you. I say it all the time at all the interviews. You know, <laughs> uh, 
that was just because uh, I, I never thought I would be in a musical. Yeah. And uh, I love Christine uh, Westfall. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've kept in touch with her over the years. Oh, that's wonderful. I've kept in touch with a bunch of them. I actually had John Bolton on the podcast like last some point last year and uh you know he's killing it he's now in the wicked tour you know he's he's everywhere is he talented or what oh so talented every time i see him and he was good friends with uh the my wife on a one of your tally mills was married to orson bean and orson and john bolton were good friends so mm -hmm. You know, I had actually met John a number of times, even before uh, Christmas Story. And I had worked once with Aaron Dilley. Oh. Yeah, and Carolyn McCormick, you know. I mean, it was just, see, the talent was unreal. And I've seen Luke since he came out to L.A. I went to see him in a play about the history of dancing. With oh, amazing. Marquise Hines, you know. And, of course, when I do a play and you guys show up, it's always fun. Yeah, no, we, we love it. And honestly, like I'll, I've said it a million times, even on this show already, you know, talking to John Bolton and all those guys from the show, you know, y you were the backbone of that show. I mean, truly, I mean, you were the narrator, so you were the backbone during the performances. But even backstage, I mean, you kept you literally became like our like on stage grandfather in a way because you know yeah, we were back. I bribed you guys remember i had <laughs> kathleen we set up that room i had all the stuff your parents didn't want you to have you know, no literally chocolate and cookies so i i, I bought your loyalty <laughs> well well that but you also did a lot of good for us because i'll never forget like we had this little room for the kids too and we were playing video games and whatnot and you'd come in during the shows to like check on us and be like what are they doing when they're not on stage and when we you saw we were playing video games or something you would go nuts so i remember you bought us like uh, a place map or uh, like a postcard of yeah. all of the presidents and we you were like learn them and like you would do and i still have all of these things that you would really? bring in for us yeah 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 i swear to god i just went through our storage unit the other day and we were like look at this this is from dan loria in a christmas story because he made us learn all the presidents and all it was just you did so much for us kids and it was just a, a real treat to learn from you and the advice that you would give us and everything you know i still go by it so i'm like in a debt of gratitude towards well you. I, I had you know two great mentors i had charles derning and and then later on jack klugman and it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You know, Charlie was the greatest clown that ever lived. <laughs> he would always say to me, remember, it's called a play for a reason. Yeah. Playing. You know? Have Absolutely. Fun. So, you know, and, and uh, I remember a great actor said to me once, he said, now that it's all, he was very old, and he said, now that it's all said and done, I realize the only thing an actor needs is a little giggle in his heart. There you go. It's you know so who, true. You know who said that to me? Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart. Wow, really? Yeah. He was a tough guy, too. He was, you know, we were at the National Veterans Committee, and he was a general in the Air Force because he stayed in after World War II in the Reserve. So he was a legitimate Air Force wow. general. He's, you know, a tough guy. But he said, yeah. And now that it's all said and done, I realize all you need to act is a little giggling in your heart. And it's true, you know. I, I had fun with you, you guys. I had fun doing Lombardi. You know, I had yeah. fun playing villains. When are you going to get the kill? <laughs> you know, if you're not, if you don't have that. And it, I think you start with your cast. You guys were having so much fun; it became infectious. You could feel at that last speech at the end. It went over so well because nobody wanted to leave. Yeah, exactly. Well. If don't believe me, if you guys hadn't done what you'd done, my last speech would have sunk. No, no, it, it had it had to be built on something, you know. Yeah, no, for sure, that's totally fair and totally valid. Um, I'm curious because, like, we're on the topic of a Christmas story, like, and this is more of a generalized kind of question, but uh, I'm using it in the Christmas story for an example since we're on the topic. But like, you know, you did it on Broadway the year before I was there and, and then you came back the year after and you did it on like this little tour and then a stint at Madison Square Garden. So like in this industry in general, like what draws you back to a piece of like a work that you really believe in? Like, what is that to you? Well, you know, I, I, I mean, I got the part because I was working for Peter Billingsley and Vince Vaughn. Oh. We were doing that TV series, The Sullivan and Son. Oh, my God. I didn't yeah, realize. Who that. else would put me? I had to have an in, you know. Uh, believe me, if I auditioned, I probably wouldn't have got it. You know. <laughs> I would have said, come in on an eight count, and I would have been out of there. <laughs> but uh, Peter and, and we had, you know, I kept telling them, I said, I had so much fun, and they – they actually made a lot of money uh, on the, they made more money on the leg lamps than they did on tickets. Oh, really? Oh, all that paraphernalia. <laughs> People wouldn't buy just one or two. They were ordering 20, 25 for Christmas gifts. Oh, that's hilarious. So Peter, after the first times, we were at rehearsal for the series, said, you know what? We're going to go back next year. It's going to be bigger. We're going to go to Madison Square Garden. You want to do it again? And I, you know, I, I was going to, well, I don't know. I just did it. And he goes, come on, Dan, the kids will miss you. And I said, yeah, let's do it again. And then I realized only about, what, a third of you came because <laughs> they grew up, you know. Right. And then we met you and the other people, you know. 
and I'm still in touch. Like Jeremy calls, he's in the making films now and everything. He boy, he changed. He's slim now, you know. Oh, I know, yeah. Jeremy Schinder. Yeah, that's a name I haven't heard in a while. Wow, yeah. what a great you know, group, though. Had some problems when we were young, and sometimes I have to pull aside, you know. <laughs> yeah. now, now he's like you. He's energetic. He's a little self-effacing. He's he's great. There you go. There you go. All you need is a little Dan Laurie in your life. He'll whip your butt in gear. Don't worry. <laughs> well, I want to talk to you because you have a new movie coming out this year, right? You're actually playing former Speaker of the House, Tip O'Neill. Or oh, Thomas yeah, O'Neill. yeah, Ronald Reagan movie, yeah. Yeah, so uh, listen, my my grandparents are, of course, going to be listening to this. Shout out to both my grandmas. Um, and uh, this is totally up their alley, so I want you to tell them about it and tell everyone else about it, too. No, it, it's a, it's a, a Dennis Quaid was remarkable to work with. And, you know, he, we, I'm a very, you know, me, I'm, way left, you know, and uh, Dennis is a rather conservative Republican and uh, not a Trumper, but a Republican. And he loved Ronald Reagan. And he, Mm. one of the reasons why he was so behind this was he really feels that here were two people ideologically apart, but yet they could work together for the good of all of us. And he felt that's being lost. And I agree with him. That's been lost in our country. So he wanted to make this movie and, and, you know, one of the, it shows they do our friends. My part's not real big, but it's has some great scenes. And when Reagan was shot, this is a scene where Tip O'Neill stayed with him all night in the hospital and they prayed together. Wow. So they, were, they were drinking buddies. They would yell at each other and do all that political stuff during the day. But at night, you know, <laughs> you know like Reagan said, with two Irishmen having a beer, you know, and they got a lot done doing that, you know. And, and it's yeah. been through, through uh, LBJ, got a lot done with Edward Dirksen, who they were ideologically apart, but they would open that bottle of bourbon and they'd get stuff done. Right. Yeah. So I heard Julian Bond talk about that. He said, I heard Everett Dirksen, he called the president every name in the world, in the world <laughs> Senate floor. And then he calls 10 minutes later and says, can I see LBJ tonight? <laughs> He said, my God, LBJ's going to kill him. And then Steph comes in, and as soon as he walked in the door, LBJ said, Edward, I wouldn't call a dog what you called me today. And Edward said, well, I took a note, tell the truth, LB. Now, what are we going to do? He said, well, okay. And they opened a battle of shots, and I need this, and you need that, and I need this. And they kind of got things done. Right. And oh, that was amazing. They may have been the last two that were – you know, let, let's you and I work together. And I think Biden's of that school because he was around, mm. but he doesn't have the players with him that I sure. don't think quite understand that. Right. You know, so. Well, I know you like your politics, and I know that this will be, uh, you know, it's close to home for you, and this will be, I'm sure this role in movie means a lot to you, so I'm really excited for it to come out and to see it. Yeah, yeah, and and there's no makeup. Oh, cool. White wig and putty, and I said, just dye my hair white. And then the director was great. He went, wow, looks like Tip O'Neill. Wow. One of the hardest things was he had a big laugh. But when he laughed, his teeth never showed. 
So, right. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Wait, so like, how do you do like a, like a research on that? You know, like it's a famous historic person and everything and you have to emulate him and you have to become him. So like, how does that whole well, process work? There's a great work? book that, uh, what's the name, Wallace uh, from MSNBC who just retired wrote, he was O'Neill's aide and he wrote about Tip and Reagan and how they were together. So naturally I read that. Really? But uh, sometimes it's a lot. Plus, you have a lot of footage yeah. of O'Neill, so I could see it, you know. And but like with Lombardi, that was that was great because I'm you know an old jock, and I got to talk to the, the old you know players that played for him, you know, right? Art Star and you know Horning and Taylor and, and uh, you know they all everyone I wanted to call. The, and the NFL was so great; they put me on the phone. And I had a set question I would ask was, if you come see the play, what do you want to see that's not in the books? Right. And uh, Dave Robinson, whose character is in the play, who was actually with us through rehearsal, he was a piss. Oh. <laughs> he, he was the one who suggested, if you ask that question, he said, I'll bet you more than half say his sense of humor. Everybody knows about the yelling and screaming. Oh, wow. And I went to Dave. I said, you know, Dave, you're right. I just talked to eight. Former Packers, six of them said his laugh and sense of humor. Wow. That's pretty. Put some laughs in the play. And, and, you know, he was always had that little twinkle in his eye. He was competitive as hell, but, you know, he always trying to throw a gag at you or have a yeah. He, I think he needed the release. That show, too, you know, like Lombardi, that had to be such a cool thing, not only for you, because I know you love your football and your, your jock and everything, but, like, you had such a unique experience. First of all, it's your Broadway debut, and then you were able to go to the Giants, and you were able to go, <laughs> be at the NFL draft and yeah. all the things. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. So was, cool. It was fun. Yeah, it was fun for my uh, – uh, my friends from high school and from college. Yeah, there you go. They all came down, and usually there was somebody there from the Packers. I think that's the, awesome. I think though was uh, Yogi Berra, who knew. Oh that yeah, they lived near each other, you know. And Yogi used to work out with them in the off season from the Yankees when when Lombardi was with the Giants, right? The uh, uh, offensive coordinator. So Yogi came one night. With Frank Robinson and Hank Aaron. Wow. And they're sitting together. And Yogi <laughs> was like in the middle because his wife wasn't there, but the other two, their wives were there. And in the first, the very beginning of the play, I have Lombardi's actual speech for the first time he saw the Packers. And then uh-huh. he says, We're going to be the Yankees of professional football. <laughs> and, you know, it was in the round. And you use the audience as the team. And I looked right at Yogi and I said, We're going to be the Yankees of professional <laughs> Yogi. So when the players, love it. three of them come backstage and Hank Aaron says, Thank God you didn't say Yankees again. Yogi almost killed me. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That'd be so cool. I mean, I'm sure you don't get starstruck, but like with, you know, sports legends, I feel like it's just another type of, you know, stardom. You oh, know, I, I hope I never get so old that I'm not starstruck. Yeah, certain, there you go. There's certain people I've met that I was just in awe of. And 90% of the time it didn't, uh, yeah. it wasn't disappointed, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I, I said, oh, geez, I'll never get to work with Tom Hanks. I think he's just such a great – and sure enough, 
I didn't get to act with him, but he directed me in something. And, uh, wow. you know, all the stories you hear about how nice he is, he's even nicer, Eli. Oh. What makes all of us actors look right. And other people who I did get to know, like George Clooney, I've never actually, I've done readings with him, but I, I know him. Yeah, you know, just a gentleman, a real respect for what old Hollywood was. I think in his heart, he hates where it's going. Yeah, you know, but interesting. He, he is so grateful for all the things. You know, he's a very wealthy man and great businessman, and he's very grateful for it, you know. Yeah. So, you know, we only read about the bad stuff. Yeah. We read the, you know, I work with such great, you know, Judith Light. Come on. Yeah. Uh, Wendy Malick, Priscilla Lopez. I've been so lucky to work with them. And they have fun to work with. Oh, for sure. Priscilla was in Pippin with me. I love Priscilla. Oh, isn't she the best? Oh, my God. She is. She's the only one in other people's money who did the play with everyone who played. The lead guy was in Greenwald. And and, uh, and when I went in, I only had two rehearsals. One with Uh the study cast and one with the real cast walked through oh, and, went on. and it was interesting night because they thought I was going to drop lines. So they would say their lines and look like me, like, is he going to remember? Right. <laughs> but I did it a little differently and I yeah. thought, Oh man, she, they're going to kill me. No. Uh, Priscilla was the first one in and she came running to my dressing room. She goes, are you really going to play the character like that? And I said, it's all right with you guys. She went, Boy, are we gonna have fun! And she's, she's been one of my best friends ever since. Oh, that's amazing! I love that. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's so funny. Oh yeah, we, love- we did that. The best kind of one-upsmanship, you know, the good kind, the kind. Oh yeah. Before. You so, push each other. Yeah, yeah. So she, we had a big scene where she gives me this, a little bit of a lecture, a little bit of a shout down. And, we're in the wings waiting to go out. She goes, I got one tonight. It's going to bring down the house. I said, oh. She goes, you wait. <laughs> she wouldn't tell me. And what happened was, as she's yelling at me for being lech, instead of uh-huh. talking to my eyes, she talked to my penis. She walked right to my crotch. Oh, my God. The audience went nuts. <laughs> and I said, oh, you know, after we clap, you got to keep that. You know, it's great. So about three weeks later, we're in the wing. I go, I got one. She goes, what are you going to do? I said, you realize you're going to love this. So oh, no. Gave speech, you know, to my crotch. And the audience is laughing. And when they stopped, you know, started to come down, I slid my tie over as if it was, uh, it was so small that the tie was covering it. Oh, <laughs> my God. Top. Priscilla cracked up right on stage. Went, oh, right on stage. We got to keep them both, you know, and we did. We, did. we had uh, some fun. But Priscilla's, uh, well, you know her. She's just. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing about the stage, too, you know, like doing it with film and on the screen and everything. You don't get to really play with it every night, you know, and yeah. find new things. You know, you get that time to, to add things in and have fun and make it a little different. Yeah, it keeps it well, fresh and keeps you loose. For sure. Well, I, I got to say just before I'm going to let you go, but uh, I got to say, I truly mean everything that I've said so far in, in this in talking to you again in, in this podcast. But, uh, you know, you really did give me 
some of the best advice I've ever received. And, and you're someone that I, I've carried with me throughout my entire, like ever uh-huh. since I met you, you know, you, you don't know how much you mean to me. And I, no, I, I'm, I'm serious. Like you don't know what you mean to me and what you mean to my dad and I both, uh, you know, like I'll never forget this one conversation that you had with my dad and I, and then like the next week we had pretty much the same conversation with Annie Potts. And it was just, you know, you got to go all in in this industry if you want it. And, and like at the time, you know, I was playing ice hockey and I was doing all yeah. these different things and I was just being a kid, you know, and, and you were like, but if you want to do this, you know, like I think you can do this, but if you want to do this, you, you can't do everything else. You know, you have to just hone in and, and, you know, not even like, you don't even necessarily have to take acting classes cause you got it, but you have to understand what you want. You just have to do this and you have to, focus on this and do it for you and do it for everyone. Which, it, it, I, it was, which I see is what you're doing. I mean, yeah. you're going to college, but it's focused on this business. And you're, you know, the last line of my lecture at colleges, I tell the kids, look, when I'm 80 and you come to New York and I'm your waiter, don't feel sorry for me because I'll have a flyer for the play I'm doing in my pocket. There you go. <laughs> you got to have that attitude. Yeah. For sure. I'm you, glad you, you went to college, but I'm glad you stayed in the realm of our entertainment and entertainment law because you're probably going to end up being producer. Yeah. I mean, listen, the, the, I want to continue acting. Acting is what I love to do. I want to be the one who's part of the reason that people are feeling a way that, they, that right. they're feeling, you know, like I want them to cry with me. I want them to laugh with me. You know, that's what I think all of us actors want to do. But uh, at the very least, I just want to be in this industry. And, you know, I think that you, having that conversation with you, it kind of solidified that for me. And, and, and just what every, everything that this industry like brings to people, just whether it's movie, well, whether you, it is theater. When you, you know. produce, direct, and act in your own movie, call me. <laughs> you, I'll come hang the lights. Dan, you know uh, that you would be the first person I'd call. Uh, honest to God. I mean, that would be – to have the chance to work with you again would be an actual dream come true, honestly. Um, well, I, I love you. you get to see my play because we're going to be up at Shadowland, uh, I think, in June. So it, That's not too far from you. Right. Is that Dinner with the Boys? Is it that show play? Oh, no, no, no. It's brand new. Okay. Brand new one. Okay. I'm well, I to get Priscilla to do it with me. Are you actually? Yeah, it's two old writers of comedy that have dementia. And each day they uh-huh. meet on a beach, I mean, on a bench. And they write comedy and they fall in love. Wow. That's awesome. Two-hander. Yeah, it's done well. I love it. Well, I'll absolutely come check it out. You have to let me know when it is. I'll look it up it's even. Yeah, for sure. And I'm going to come see the, this show with you at the Chain Theater. Um, oh, I'm very okay. okay. Uh, trust me, Dan. I, I will be seeing you again for sure. Okay. I'm very excited. I can't wait to go check this out. And hopefully everyone listening goes to check it out and, uh, you know, keeps an eye out on it. Because I think, like Dan said, it, it's a bunch of wonderful new works. And uh, there's something really special in all of them. So I can't wait. Thank you. Uh, thanks for being yeah. in the theater. Appreciate it. Oh, my God, of course. Thank you, Dan. It's so great to see you again. Take a bow, Dan Loria. Oh, my God. As I said, 
Dan Lurie is someone who means the world to me. I'm so excited to be seeing him in this Chain Theater Festival. I'm going to go see it Sunday at 5. Very exciting. Cannot wait to see him in person. It's going to be lovely. And he's such a wonderful performer and, and full of knowledge. You know, like he could totally write a book about this industry and about everything that he's learned. I mean, he's taught me so much in, in such a little bit amount of time. You know, we worked together for three months and he like completely changed my life. So um, I appreciate him for, for coming on here and, and his willingness to talk to me on the show. Very exciting. When I started this whole podcast, you know, I, I made a list of people that I'd love to have on the show. And I, I reached out to them and said like, hey, I'm, I'm starting this thing. Please come on. And, you know, he was up there at, at, like top three it was probably like matthew morrison it was probably diane paulus and then dan loria you know like of people that just like mean the world to me and uh folks that i'd love to have on and it's not really just because who they are and sure they're all fantastic people and they are also knowledgeable in the industry and they can all touch on so many things but it's also just like what they did for my career you know diane i I mentioned this gave me a bunch of broadway shows you know she kept me working she she liked to work with me I, i can't repay that you know and and then dan you know he gave me this advice and really made this all happen you know he told me that you you have to go all in you cannot do sports and this you cannot travel back and forth every week you know like we we were told that before but it didn't make sense the way that dan presented it just kind of made sense and he was able to relate to us so he was able to share his story with us and be like this is literally what happened to me and here's what I regret about it and like all these things. So it was wonderful. And then of course, Matthew, I mean, Matthew is self-explanatory. He was literally a dad to me for, for all those years. And hopefully we get him on the show this year. So very exciting stuff. That's pretty much all I have for you folks this week. I hope that you all found this uh, episode interesting. I'm curious to see how y'all reacted to it. It is probably a guess that you know, you all who normally listen to the show probably don't know, or maybe you're finding out about it. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know if you all found this show interesting. I found it extremely interesting, um, especially like when listening to the stories, you know, there were just so many stories that it's just like, this guy's unbelievable. The career that he's had, as I said, he could literally write a book and, and I would like not put it down. You know, he's worked with so many incredible people and he dropped those names and the people that he's auditioning with and, and being offered roles with. And it's just fascinating that he was able to share that stuff with us, you know, about, you know, being on hold and and thinking you have the role. And then some big, you know, Robert De Niro or whatever comes in and says, oh yeah, I'm going to do it. You know, like it's crazy about what this industry does and what it is and no one talks about it. So the fact that Dan was coming on here to talk to about his personal experience with all of that and, you know, the self-tape aspect and what it's like to be on stage compared to the screen and all the things. So it it was a fascinating conversation and I hope that you enjoyed it if you stayed around to listen to all of it. So um, with that being said, thank you all for listening to this week's episode. I appreciate you all as always and I cannot wait to see you all next week. So with that being said, bye everyone. Have a great week. For this episode's curtain call, I would like to recognize a few people who also deserve to take a bow. This podcast would not be possible without the help from Dory Berenstein, Alan Seals, Kimberly Garris, and the team at the Broadway Podcast Network. Next in line to take a bow are our fabulous editors, Jessica Lauren, who edits the audio of the podcast that you just listened to, and Tessie Tokash, who edits the videos and visuals for this podcast. And how about a bow for our executive producer, Chris Griner?
And our final bow, our extra special, to the patrons, Brian Thompson, Pat McNamara, the listeners of PCC, as well as all of the other patrons for their continued support. If you're interested in becoming a patron, go to patreon.com TAB. If you enjoyed this week's episode, make sure to subscribe on the platform that you are currently listening to this on, or go check out our YouTube where you can watch the episode. You can also subscribe, like, and comment on there as well. If you're more into the regular social media and want to follow us, you can do that at Take About Podcast across all social media platforms. The music of this podcast was made by Nikki Torsha and Cormac Collinon, and the logo was created by Giselle Bustos. And that wraps up this episode's Curtain Call. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and I can't wait to see you next week. Bye, everyone. Have a great week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.